Americans are 25 times as likely to be victims of a gun-related murder and eight times as likely to die by firearm suicide than people in other developed countries. Along with these statistics, recent increases in the frequency and lethality of mass shootings in the United States argue for efforts to reframe the national debate about firearms as a public health issue. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with John Ma, Chief of the Division of General and Acute Care Surgery at Marin General Hospital in California. Dr. Ma has co-authored a perspective article on the potential benefit of a Surgeon General's report on firearm injuries and violence. Dr. Ma, in your article, you discussed the 1964 Surgeon General's report on smoking and health, and then subsequent reports on AIDS, mental health, substance use disorders. How have those publications from the Surgeon General influenced national discussions on the issues? One of the inspirations for the conceptualization was the 1964 U.S. Surgeon General's report by Luther Terry about the health hazards of smoking. This led to 40 subsequent reports related to tobacco control in the intervening years, most recently the 50-year update in 2014. The Surgeon General has published a number of reports, first on smoking, each developing the theme and expanding on the harms to youth, to minorities, secondhand smoke in the workplace, and the annual updates have served to illuminate the discussion nationally and really point us in the direction of what's been come to be known as the tobacco endgame to actually solve the tobacco-related health harms in America. And that was a partial inspiration for the work now to try to begin compiling the evidence to be able to chart a path towards a firearm endgame to reduce the preventable morbidity and mortality from firearm injuries in America. So what kind of information would be included in such a Surgeon General's report, and how would it add to our current knowledge base? I think the Surgeon General's report would be a great starting point of a conversation. It would be a comprehensive resource of the scientific, public health, public policy, and relevant legal writings across the nation to help us better understand how we arrived where we are today. First, it would help to dispel myths and misunderstandings about the problem that we face today. I believe that summarizing the scientific evidence to help us understand the injuries that are sustained and how to treat them would be helpful to clinicians across the country. Along the way, focusing on mass casualty incidents and also the preventable epidemic of suicides would be a great place to begin and to partner with other federal agencies that seek to reduce self-inflicted injuries. The report hopefully would be updated periodically and serve as a compendium of our current understanding to be able to guide us in the next steps for what is most urgently needed in future research. So what kinds of barriers, political or otherwise, might stand in the way of the creation of, of such a report? And does the current Surgeon General seem to be interested in the topic? There would be a significant number of obstacles to the creation and the commission of such a report. It's interesting in speaking to physicians and public health leaders in other nations, they've wondered why a report like this has not already been commissioned in the past years and past administrations. The Surgeon General's office is in the hierarchy of the Department of Health and Human Services. And there's an interesting proposal by a congresswoman in Illinois to require the U.S. Surgeon General to make a report to Congress annually about the magnitude of firearm injuries in America. That bill has Democratic support, and I think it would be helpful if there were to be a Republican co-sponsor 
But this conversation about research into firearm injuries in America has been very contentious, understandably, on Capitol Hill. And a key question is the jurisdiction, whether it would be Congress or a member of the White House cabinet that would direct the U.S. Surgeon General to begin this undertaking. I have written to the United States Department of Health and Human Services to begin the conversation to reach out to the current U.S. Surgeon General to undertake this effort. Speaking of research, you talk in your article about the historical restrictions on federal funding for research on firearm violence under the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Those rules have changed. Do you think we'll be seeing more federally funded research? Yes, the announcement by Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar was surprisingly but well-received that CDC funding for gun violence research would be permissible. I think the key is to ensure that advocacy does not occur as a result of that work. In the past weeks, there has been a vote on Congress to appropriate funds to research firearm violence in America, and unfortunately, that bill did not advance. So I believe that we are at a turning point that we will begin to see an increased amount of research that's allowed by the federal government so long as it does not cross into the domain of advocacy. But I think new lines of funding will still be very difficult to obtain. You say in your article that gun rights advocates have used litigation to strike down gun control laws and to protect their Second Amendment rights. Do you see legal strategies that the public health community could use to address gun violence issues? Yes, I believe that one of the examples of how the gun rights community has used the laws to protect gun rights would be D.C. versus Heller, which was a really interesting case about carrying weapons in the District of Columbia. The 2005 Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act provided unique immunity to gun sellers and manufacturers by limiting their liability for the harm and damages inflicted by their products. I believe that this is one area where public health champions could try to utilize the law as well as Congress to try to reverse that existing law. I believe that increasing the accountability for the health harms that result from firearms is one area for public health advocates to utilize in the future. It's very interesting that just yesterday, the Mandalay Bay Hotel filed litigation against the victims who had been injured in the 2017 Mandalay Bay shooting trying to utilize a loophole in the law that would grant the hotel immunity from any litigation by those who had been injured at the Route 91 Harvest Festival. I believe that's the inverse of what must be done now to try to utilize the law to hold manufacturers and retailers responsible for the public health harms of their products. It's somewhat akin to the tobacco master settlement and the efforts in tobacco control over the past decades. Finally, you note that despite the lack of progress on gun-related issues to date, you feel that the tone of the conversation has changed. Do you think that that shift is going to be enough to bring changes in the kind of research being done, the kind of policies being enacted in the United States? It is my hope that the change in the tenor of the conversation will lead us forward in the right path. It is a starting point, but the voices of the Parkland High School students need to be joined by other sectors of our society. I believe there's a responsibility from Hollywood, from the motion picture industry, and elsewhere to catalyze this movement forward. I'm very pleased to see that a number of major public health and medical organizations have stepped up and have called for the reframing of this problem as a public health matter and for continued research. 
I believe that once we have better data, we'll be able to then continue the evolution of this conversation in the right direction and ultimately lead to significant societal change. Thank you, Dr. Ma.